it's a reminder to us that Christianity is about following Jesus in our real life situation. Everything that we do comes back to the gospel, comes back to the whole story. Welcome to Working with the Word, a weekly podcast designed to equip you with the skills and confidence for deeper daily Bible study. I'm Jeff O'Rear. And I'm Emerson Brown. And thank you for tuning in to episode 30 of Working with the Word. We're glad that you're here today. Jeff and I are covering a huge amount of ground by talking about the New Testament epistles today. Everything from the book of Romans to the next last book of the Bible, Jude. This is 21 books of the New Testament in roughly 30 minutes. And even though these books aren't as long as some of the Old Testament books we've overviewed, like Kings or Isaiah, there is so much more density of application and relevance to our lives as Christians. When you think about encouragement or just daily instruction for living, we often go directly to the epistles, and that's what they're there for. But how do they fit into the whole story of the Bible? We've talked through the Gospels to see God's plan fulfilled, Jesus' crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension. Last week, we talked about Acts to see that message proclaimed. But there's more, much more, and that's what we're here to discuss today. So, Jeff, when we talk about epistles, what exactly are we talking about? What do we mean by that? When we use the word epistle, we're simply talking about a letter. We're probably all familiar with writing letters like, Dear Emerson, have a great day, your friend Jeff, those type of things, right? We've sometimes heard the phrase before that we're reading someone else's mail. So this is stuff that is written to the Ephesians or to the churches in Galatia, to Philemon, to the lady and her elect children, like John talks about. We see all of these people that are being written to, as we're looking through their mail, we want to think of then about what can we learn from their situation, their context. Something is going on that people like Paul or Jude or James or Peter or whoever the Hebrew writer is have written these letters to address situations or scenarios. In fact, that's the first important point we want to make about these epistles is that there's always a reason for their being written. Whenever we read one of these New Testament letters, we want to be on the lookout for the why some type of crisis or circumstance, some type of joy, maybe some type of issue or false doctrine, etc., something that this letter is going to address or build up in some way. Now, it's fair that there could be a couple of things that are addressed per letter. There are some letters that maybe have a more, I'm just checking in with you, and then I'm also going to give you some instruction. But all that to say, we want to be on the lookout for reasons for why these are being written. So here are some examples where we see some of that. Let's actually start towards the end of the letters that are organized in our scriptures with the book of Jude. Jude writes in verse 3, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. A phrase like that, I write to you, or I am writing to you, that's a pretty good example or a highlight yeah. for this is the reason. Here are a couple of other examples. Listen for those phrases. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 14, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, John actually uses that phrase, I am writing, or I'm writing, or I've written eight times in that gospel, but that's one that's highlighted there at the end of the book. 
And in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 6, Paul writes, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you and the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. So we see that these examples of here's either some encouragement or here's I'm giving you some type of building up or something is going wrong here and I need to address that. Look for those reasons. And it's not always like explicitly spelled out, right? In these passages, it's really clear. Sometimes you have to read through the whole thing one, two, maybe several times in order to get kind of a good grasp upon the on the main point of the letter. And yeah. so don't always expect the writer to say, I'm writing this to you because dot, dot, dot. You might have to kind of do some um, detective work. And that's not to make it sound like it's really hard, but you have to read through the entire letter sometimes to get that sense. You'll have to go from that observation to the interpretation, as we're maybe thinking about Mm -hmm. some of our Bible study methods. That's right. And we do want to, again, build off that point to say there are times that you'll read things, and, and not always that clear. Those statements are very helpful to help us to understand reasons for writings, but there are times I think about something like 1 Timothy. I don't think we have a explicit, there's lots of false teaching going on in the church of Ephesus, Timothy, so work on that. But as you read that letter, you see him talking about the roles of elders and deacons. You see him talking about bad leadership and what needs to be done against bad leadership. So you're putting the pieces together to say something's going on in Ephesus, and Paul is encouraging Timothy, as well as the church there as a whole, as they'll hear that letter, to grow from that particular crisis that's going on in that place. So that's the big thing with the letters. We want to look through these epistles, these letters, look through these people's mail, and try to find the reason. Something that can help us with that is to know just the general structure. So we have, I think, four points here that most of the epistles are going to follow a structure of something like this. It will begin with some type of salutation. A writer is addressed, the audience is known who they're speaking to, usually some reference to the grace and peace of God, and some reference to maybe God and Jesus, to the people share a common salvation or are attached in. There's usually, towards the beginning, some type of thanksgiving. You have blessings from God or blessings in God that people share that they could build up and to be encouraged by. You see, I think this word is paranesis. If I'm mispronouncing that, then I'm mispronouncing that. The idea of that, though, (laughs) these are some type of commands, advice, exhortations. If you look up paranesis, P-A-R-A-E-N-E-S-I-S, you'll see some type of definition about in religious matters, it's talking about morals or doctrines or values and virtues, addressing those type of things. And this is basically just like the, the main body of the letter, right? Yeah, especially the Thanksgiving and the, the main body is going to be there in the Paranesis. And then the conclusion, a lot of letters have some type of final greetings. Other people who might be with the writer send their blessings as well. And then a final, you might use the phrase, benediction, blessings and, and praise and glory be to God. Now... Sometimes they will break away from the structure. I mentioned Galatians a second ago. Galatians does not include the typical Thanksgiving section at the beginning, the blessings we have in God. Paul feels the need to immediately get into, this is some false teaching that's going on, and that needs to be addressed. But the reason we want to bring up the structure and the search for that main idea, that main reason for writing, is we want to do our best as we're reading the epistles to follow the flow of the whole letter. We'll talk about more about and we might be tempted to maybe to cherry pick. We sometimes need to just follow the flow and look at how does this section relate to the next section, to the next section of this letter. We might think about it's important to be able to distinguish between these sections and to find that main reason so we can follow the flow of the argument. 
Argument is not a bad word. It's just a way to talk about how somebody makes their points. I'm making a case for why you need to behave this way. Or Paul's making a case about these are the type of things that you need to to realize as you have blessings in God, this is going to mean how you walk. So the author is revealing those things, but yet we really know that behind all of that, the Holy Spirit is inspiring these men to tell these things, to make it through these letters, to see what those ideas are. Yeah, when you think about just a letter, and it's not very common for us to write and mail letters today, but if you were to get a letter from a friend or something, you know, or just think about an email or maybe briefer example of that would be a text message. Let, let's say that someone starts a letter by saying, Dear Jeff, you know, the way you read that letter is you don't read the first word dear and you go to the dictionary. Okay, let's define the word dear. <laughs> um, you, you read the whole letter and you get a sense of, okay, what is, what is my friend saying to me? This person cares about me and, and what do they want to communicate me about what's going on with them? And so that's, you know, when we think about a letter, it, it gets a, this kind of personal flavor. And, and that leads to another point that every letter or epistle doesn't have the same flavor. And so this term letter or epistle is very general. We're going to kind of focus on Ephesians here. Ephesians is a letter to a church or maybe a group of churches. But you've also got letters that are written to individuals like First and Second Timothy or maybe in a more personal way, Philemon. Right. And you've got letters with very general instructions, like 1 Peter, James, mm-hmm. I think Ephesians is a, a more general letter as well. But then you've got letters that are very specific in the situations that they're addressing, like the letters to the church at Corinth. Corinth had a lot of challenges internally, and you know Paul wrote directly to those challenges. And of course, there's relevant applications for us today from that. But in order to understand the letters to Corinth, you have to understand what's going on there. And so the way that you'll read Ephesians or Romans is not going to be the same way as you would read, say, 1 John. Mm -hmm. John is a very different kind of writing. In fact, John's style is different. And again, this is is where we have to kind of put put our observation and interpretation and application steps into proper order. You first want to read each letter for its intended purpose. Find that why. Find the, the circumstances, the reason why it's being written. And then we can make applications based upon the principles taught. And so as we're thinking about Ephesians, the flavor of Ephesians is this is a letter to a church unpacking the depths of what God has done for us in Jesus. Uh, in chapters 1 through 3, it's focused more on the gospel, and just explaining in a very detailed way what God has done for us. And then in chapters four through six, he moves to a very practical instruction that applies really to every Christian. No matter what life circumstance you're in, there is something in Ephesians four through six that applies to you. We have very little details about the church at Ephesus or even about the people that are kind of behind the scenes, but so much in there in the letter to Ephesus. If we wanted to try to find more of those details, we would look to something like the book of Acts, right? We could see Mm -hmm. from Paul's journeys there, what he's done, his relationship with the elders there, things that lead to some situations like we'll look in the letters, or even we look at the letters to Timothy as he is in Ephesus, or even thinking about what is in Revelation when John Mm -hmm. writes that letter from Jesus to the Ephesian church. We can put together some of those details, but we're looking at 
more the arguments and the the thoughts that are being drawn out in those particular letters. Yeah, it's interesting. When you try to pull all of that together, it's amazing how the Bible fits together that way. Mm-hmm. You you can go to Acts, you can go to Revelation, you can go to Timothy, you can go to, to find out more about Ephesus, and just interesting how, how that works. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to talk about some of the challenges of reading the letters, but before we get to that, I, there's just this question that I often think about when I think about the New Testament letters. So much of the New Testament is, is written in this way. And, and I wonder why God chose to preserve so much of our Bible today in this letter format. If God wanted to, he could have easily delivered a checklist of his laws and his commandments for how to be a Christian. Mm-hmm. Okay, Don't get drunk. Uh, abstain from immorality. Uh, do good. Share with others. Okay, I've got those boxes checked and you know, mission accomplished, right? But that's not the way God communicated his will to us as Christians. He doesn't want robot Christians. He doesn't want people just to be following uh, checkboxes. What he wants from us is a heart that's transformed by the gospel of Jesus, by the whole story. And so that's part of why I think God has preserved for us these personal letters so that we can see what Christianity is really all about. It's about us following Jesus in our lives. It's about us serving one another. And it illustrates that as Paul or Peter or James or John are writing to churches or Christians about real-life situations, it's a reminder to us that Christianity is about following Jesus in our real-life situations. Everything that we do comes back to the gospel, comes back to the whole story. So that's just kind of some perspective as you think about the purpose behind these letters. So some of the challenges, what would be some of the challenges of reading through the New Testament epistles? Again, something we talked about a little bit ago was looking at the epistles, and maybe you've been in this scenario before in like a small group discussion or a Bible study. You're going through maybe a paragraph or a chapter or even the rougher version, just a verse at a time. And and that can be good to get into more depth there. You shouldn't always be flying at international space station level or even, mm-hmm. you know, a couple thousand feet plane level. At some point you do need to get to the ground level and you do need to dig deep. But sometimes when we're getting so deep that we're losing the forest for the trees, that's the way we have it in our notes right now. I think that's how you say that phrase. The idea of you're losing the big picture by focusing too much on the details. So again, we're we're using Ephesians as an example just to help us so we're not having to talk about 21 different books today and the whole time. There are times that when we go down rabbit holes, we talk about Ephesians 2.8 and then we talk about Ephesians 2.10 and now it's time to run down the rabbit hole. What does it mean to be created for and to do good works? Those are not bad discussions or bad studies to have in the right context. But as we're thinking about reading these letters and studying these letters, and at times we will want to get down into the dirt. We'll want to be on the ground and survey the positions around us. But we don't want to do that until we've been able to get a good view from sky level to see what is the big picture here of these. So don't get lost in the details before you understand or grasp the big picture. I think one thing we've talked about is when we talk about it, maybe getting deeper into the word, not just you know an overview or a flyover view, 
it's better to focus our study on a thought for thought or paragraph by paragraph versus a verse by verse. Because sometimes yeah. the verse numbers will break into a sentence or a thought. And so that's helpful even as you're reading to do a flyover or whether you're digging deep or mining into the scriptures at more of a ground level, it's better to kind of keep the thoughts together because you mentioned Ephesians 2, 8, by grace you have been saved through faith. It's easy for us to clip that out and and take it where Paul doesn't take it or maybe run with it in a way that Paul doesn't mean. Mm -hmm. It's much more helpful to read Ephesians 1 and 2 together to see what exactly, because he defines what he means by grace, and he talks about how this works. And so thinking about this from a big picture, we need to, the, the details are important, mm -hmm. but the details fit together to make this whole picture. Exactly. Another challenge I think that we have is maybe to go along those same lines, it's easy for us to read the epistles, especially the ones that are very heavy and doctrinal, teachings, it's very easy for us to lean on our preconceptions versus doing good observation, which leads to proper interpretation. Just one example outside of Ephesians, Romans chapter 6 is a great passage to teach about baptism, because Romans 6 talks about what baptism means for a Christian. But Romans 6 is not really about how to be baptized, or the necessity of baptism. That's not what the original point was in Romans. Paul wrote Romans 6 to show that we cannot continue living in sin because you have been freed from that, because you were baptized. And so try to keep the main point the main point. Mm -hmm. When you think about Ephesians, I think one particular challenge that we might have is you know, how, how do these ancient principles or these ancient teachings apply to me? He talks about in Ephesians 6, verses 5 through 9, about slaves and masters. Well, here in America, thankfully, we don't have slaves and masters. And so it might be easy for us to say, well, that just doesn't apply to me. Here's just an easy illustration to show that, you know, the principle of submission and respect and serving Christ by serving others carries over into other relationships that we have. You may not be a servant, you may not be a master, but you are submissive, you should be submissive to your boss at work or to the governing authorities. And so only a good study of the text in the context will answer these kinds of questions. Just be careful that we're not using our preconceived ideas to prop up the text, that we're actually digging into the text. Another challenge that I've found is especially when reading the letters, sometimes the chapter divisions themselves break up the flow of thought. Mm -hmm. Like Ephesians 5 and 6, the division between those two chapters kind of breaks up the flow. The end of chapter 5, Paul is talking about marriage and how that's kind of the basis for the family and how our marriages need to reflect the gospel and what Christ has done for us. But then in chapter 6, he continues by talking about children and parents. And so if you just pick up in Ephesians 6, you don't see that there's a foundation, there's a basis back in chapter 5 for our family relationships. And so sometimes those chapter divisions can kind of break up the flow of thought. So, you know, it's, it's helpful sometimes to, uh, to see, my wife actually has a, a Bible that has no chapter divisions in it, mm -hmm. and she really likes it because she's able to just keep reading. And so 
it's helpful sometimes to, as you're getting an overview, ignore the chapter divisions. So as we think about wanting to make whole story connections, again, let's not go through what's the Romans whole story connection? What's the first Corinthians whole story connection? We're going to just focus on the book of Ephesians. We've talked about Ephesians chapter 1 some. God had a plan from the beginning to reconcile sinners to himself through the crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension of Christ. We want to talk a little bit more about at least chapter 2. Emerson, guide us through this next part of the whole story connection in Ephesians chapter 2. Yeah, Ephesians has so many whole story connections. And so Ephesians 1 explains what God has done for us in Christ. And he shows us that uh, Jesus's blood cleanses us from our sin, how we've been redeemed. And that happens through Jesus's crucifixion, God's power that he demonstrated by resurrecting Jesus and by Jesus's authority when Jesus has ascended to the throne. As we think about how that relates to us and the whole story is made practical for us, I want to read chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. This is Ephesians 2, 1 through 6. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The amazing thing about this is that what God has done for us is exactly what he has done for Jesus. Jesus died, and he was raised, and he ascended to God's right hand. Ephesians 2 says, especially in verses 4, 5, and 6, God did the exact same thing for us. We were dead in our sins. And because of his love for us, he made us alive. He resurrected us. And not only that, he raised us up with him and seated us with him. And so that's the whole story for me, that how my salvation has come about. And when you go further into Ephesians, I think the theme verse of Ephesians is chapter 4, verse 1, kind of the middle of these two chapter divisions, chapters 1 through 3, chapters 4 through 6. Right here in the middle, he says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. So he's kind of stitching these two ideas together, what Christ has done for us, and then what we do in honor of Christ. Uh, chapters 1 through 3 is about our calling. And chapters 4 through 6 is about our walking, defining what that means in practical terms. And as he gets into kind of the nitty-gritty of what it means to be a Christian and how we walk worthy of our calling, I like how he, again, puts that in practical terms in Ephesians 4, verse 22 through 24. He says, in reference to your former manner of life, that would be when we were dead in our sins, you lay aside the old self, 
which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. So he says, you no longer live that way because you're dead to that. In verse 24, he says, put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. And so you were dead, you put off that old person. Instead, you put on this new self, which is created in Christ Jesus. And he, he spells out what that means in practical terms in Ephesians 4. He talks about the church, the unity of the church, the teaching of the church. He talks about our relationships and how we are patient and forgiving. We're compassionate towards one another. He talks about how we walk in light. We don't walk in the darkness like we once did. He talks about worship. He talks about marriage and family and how our work needs to be in service to Christ. At the end of Ephesians, one of my favorite sections, he talks about this battle that we're in mm-hmm. as his people and that we need to put on the armor of God. God equips us to go into battle in Christ. He talks about how prayer is a part of that. So anytime you're reading a New Testament epistle, look for those whole story connections. What has God done for you? What has what has his grace, what has this whole story of his redemption and his salvation, what does that look like in your life? How do you respond to that in your life? Ephesians tells us that God makes us alive, and he, he equips us to serve God joyfully and faithfully. So don't just look for the practical applications. Those are important, mm-hmm. but look for those practical applications and how they connect to the whole story of the gospel. So Ephesians is is one of my favorite letters, if not my favorite letter in the New Testament. Jeff, what, what would be like your top favorite letter? What's your favorite letter in the New Testament? It would probably be James or 1 Thessalonians. I've taught those books, and so I've spent a little bit more time with those books than like 2 Corinthians or some of the other epistles. A lot of them are good, but if I had to pick, it would be one of those two. James has just a lot of good, you want to grow in your faith, you want to mature based on what Jesus has done for you, this is how you're going to make that happen. Mm-hmm. And getting ready to teach First Thessalonians again is a lot of good reminders and just reading that letter over and over again. We, we often ask people we interview, what's your favorite book of the Bible? And I wasn't sure what your favorite was. Sometimes maybe we need to interview each other at some point. <laughs> That's right. Maybe so. Now we're we're finished talking about the epistles and we're almost done. When we started this series a while ago, I think when we did it with Genesis was the first time we used our to be continued language. I think it was when I referenced Power Rangers. We're seeing some of that, you know, we're still seeing those words show up at the end of our episodes here, to be continued. There's one more New Testament book we have to talk about, the book of Revelation. If you look at Revelation 2 and 3, there are some who classify Revelation as an epistle based on that type of material. Jesus is writing letters to these seven churches. However, as we get into the meaning of the whole book, we can definitely tell that Revelation does not read very much like Ephesians or even some of John's other writings like 1 John. So what does this final book of the Bible have for us to understand, most importantly, about God's plan from the beginning? to reconcile sinners to himself through the crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension of his Son, Jesus Christ. Stay tuned next week, and we'll find out. 
So as we leave you with our challenge today, we want you to read the whole book of Ephesians. If you've never done this before, we urge you to try it now. Ephesians is pretty easy to read in about 20 to 30 minutes, depending on your reading speed. You might want to listen to it on your commute, or if you want to sit down and physically read it, you'll get so much out of it versus this piecemeal chunk reading. You can still get a lot out of it, but try to read the whole book of Ephesians. And as you're doing that, practice trying to identify the main point of the letter. What is Paul conveying in this letter? And if you do that, I think you'll come to understand and see more of the whole story here in the book of Ephesians. Thank you for tuning into Working with the Word today. Like we mentioned, we'll finish up our whole story series breakdown episodes by talking about the book of Revelation next week, some stuff about apocalyptic literature. And as we talk about all of that, we'll see how does this final book of the Bible with all of its signs and images and maybe strange and unusual things really bring comfort to God's people, to know that he is in control and that his plan will always be fulfilled and that he will always be victorious and cause us to live through some difficult times and to praise Jesus and look forward to his coming return. Until then, if there are questions or topics or books of the Bible you would like for us to cover in future episodes of Working with the Word, you can find and reach out to us on Facebook and Twitter at Working with the Word, on Instagram at workingwiththeword.podcast, or send us an email to workingwiththewordpodcast at gmail.com. That's all one word, workingwiththewordpodcast at gmail.com. So until next time, may you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. book ah I missed this over. there is one more New Testament book and the book that doesn't even make any sense okay here we go there is one more New Testament book and the last book of the Bible actually that we need to talk about.